Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April King, and I am the Associate Pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We would also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. How's everybody doing? I was joking with someone this morning that when we lived in the Philippines, if you showed up at a service, there's a very good chance that someone would just say, you know, Brother Brent, why don't you come and give the word this morning? You know, it would just be off the cuff. So I always learned to have in the back of my Bible an extra sermon. So you never know, one of these Sundays, if I get to know you, I might just say, hey, come on up. No, I wouldn't do that. You know, I was just thinking how much I appreciate uh, the team that you guys have here. It was supposed to be Brian this morning, but Pete took his place. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of churches that don't have a team like that that can work together and fill in for each other. Um, when I first came here, I, there was a link to the 2023 church slate. I'm like, what in the world is a church slate? I've never heard of this before. Um, and when I first saw it, I was like, man, that's a lot of people to organize. But then I, I also thought, isn't it wonderful? There's so many people who are willing to serve. And some of you are probably like, well, it isn't really willing. I just kind of got forced into it. <laughs> but I would just say this, you know, stay engaged. You know, there's work to be done. And it is work and it is sacrifice. And it is one more thing to do. But I think it's really important work. And uh, don't, don't stop. Don't make your slate bigger. I mean, I, <laughs> You know, like keep going. Like it's not the work is not going to stop, right? There's stuff to do, and I think it's rewarding. So, whoever the vice chair is out there, you know who you are. Maybe God has spoken to you. I don't know. Make their job easy and volunteer. Is that allowed, Brent? Are they allowed to volunteer? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my name is Pastor David. I know there's still some of you that I haven't met yet, and there's some of you that I think I haven't met that I have. I apologize. I was I was at a store on Friday in town here. And there was someone, you know, ringing up the bill for the food. And I was like, I know I've met you before, but it's just not, I just, I'm sorry. I just walked out and then I asked, Taylor, who was that? And he told me who it was. Like, ah, I'm an idiot. How could I not know who that was? Anyway, I apologize for those reintroductions. I'm sure they're still happening. Uh, So we're continuing a series in the book of Colossians. And my title this morning is Freedom in Christ. And it's all under the, the, the umbrella message of this whole book, which I think is don't get off track, stay focused on Christ. And the one thing I want you to walk away with this morning, so when I ask you next week, what did I preach on, you can give me this answer and I'll feel really good because I'll think you were listening. This is what I want you to remember today. Don't let yourself be bound again. You are free in Christ. Don't let yourself be bound again. You are free in Christ. Maybe an easier way to remember it, a more memorable way, is don't put your training wheels back on. You know how to ride. 
okay? Don't put your training wheels back on. You know how to ride. Proverbs 29, 25 says this. It says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. The fear of man will prove to be a snare. Where do we put snares? If we're trying to snare a rabbit, would we put a snare on our roof? Would that make sense? Would that be a good idea? Any hunters out there? You're going to catch a rabbit, you put a snare on your roof at the bottom of your swimming pool, would that be a good place? No, you, you put a snare where there's a very good chance the animal will go, right? So if, if the devil is prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he, whom he may devour, if he is um, coming to steal, kill, and destroy, where is the enemy going to put a snare? He's going to put it in the places that we go, where we live, the things, around the things that we do, right? So we're going to find snares in familiar places. And do you put green paint on a snare with flags waving? Would that be a good idea? Are you going to catch a rabbit? No, a snare is hidden. It's difficult to see, right? They're, they're going to be in a place where we often go and where it's difficult to see. That's where we're going to find snares. So this, this proverb says, the fear of man is a snare. And I think we can find that sometimes in the church. But where does that fear come from? That, that fear of man, that, that fear of what people think, the fear of how people look at us. Um, are, are we in? Are we out? Do they hold us in high regard? Are we kind of on the bottom? Where does that fear come from? I think some of it is internal. I think we're all born with a healthy sense of, you know, I care what people think about me. It's probably a good thing that we have that kind of built into us. We want to we want to connect with people. We, we, we don't want to be abrasive all the time and be hated by everybody. I think it's probably normal that we are concerned what people think about us. So some of it's internal. But I think there's also external forces that, that can make this fear happen. Expectations, obligations, uh, the needs of others. Not necessarily bad, but I think this proverb tells us that it's something dangerous when it turns into fear, when I become afraid of what people think of me. It becomes a snare. I don't have time to talk about this today because it's not really my topic, but I find it just interesting to note that on the one side we have the fear of man, and on the other side we have trust in the Lord. It's kind of set up as a, it's kind of one or the other. You either fear man or you let that go and you trust in the Lord. I remember growing up in the church as a young kid, honestly being terrified of what people thought of me. I mean, part of that is probably because I was a pastor's kid. So please have grace for my children. They're also pastor's kids. But I think there is a bit of an extra pressure on a pastor's kid to just kind of fit the mold, to be a good kid. But I remember this one incident. We were having communion and I was wearing these light-colored khaki pants, and I was sitting at the back of the church, and the, the gentleman serving communion spilt the entire tray of communion juice in my lap. And the weird thing is, is he, I think what happened is he got really ashamed 
and felt stupid. And he got mad at me. And he kind of made it seem like, well, if I wasn't fooling around, he didn't, he would, I would, that wouldn't have happened. And I was a completely innocent kid. I never fooled around. <laughs> Any other Sunday, he probably would have had grounds to blame it on me because I was, I was kind of a fidgety kid. But I promise that Sunday, it was not me. I literally was sitting there doing nothing and he spilt the entire tray of purple grape juice on khaki, light khaki pants. It's just, there's no, it's bad times. But you know, I was so afraid of what people thought of me that I went along with that story. Yeah, I was fooling around. It was my fault. Because I didn't want to make a scene. I didn't want to like his word against my word. I was just a kid. Um, yeah, and I, it's kind of a, it's not a good thing that I was so scared of what people thought of me that I, I would lie. I always felt like I had to pretend, would they accept the real me? And I think this is a reality for most of us. Maybe some of us more than others, but we all are maybe a little fearful of what people think of us. And as this proverb makes clear, it's actually a negative thing. Snares are not good things. Snares trap us. They, they can kill us. They can destroy us. But as I talked about last week, it's more than just the, an innocent thing in the church. There's actually an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. As we, we, we talked about it last time I preached, the, the devil is like a lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. It makes sense that the devil would want to set traps for us and, and, and snare us and endanger us. So it's more than just an innocent thing. It's, it's actually dark, evil forces. And it's something that Paul tells the church that we're going to read about it today. Ryan's already read it. Paul warns the church to be very careful and don't let this happen. Don't allow these things in your church. So let's go back into the scriptures this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read through it again slowly, sort of section by section, and we're going to take a look here again. So chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 16. The first thing that, that Paul says here, Therefore, and I, the, the, the words of my seminary prof echo in my mind, and I thought it was really annoying when he would say this, but now I realize that this is, this is good stuff. Maybe you've heard it before. If there's a therefore, what do you do? You ask, what's it there for? And I was like, I was like oh, it's so cringy when he would say that. Is that like a modern thing, cringe? Oh, that's so cringy, Dad. Why is it there? I think you have to look back what has been said before. Therefore, okay, Paul's going to tell us something. We need to look a few verses before. Why is it there? What we talked about the last time I preached here. We talked about being alive in Christ. Remember what I wanted you to remember? In Christ, we have been brought to, what did I say? See, you got, when I tell you, you remember those little clips? Remember them, because then I feel better the next time I preach. In Christ, we have been brought to halfness, 78%. Yeah, 
In Christ, we have been brought to fullness. That was Paul's big point last time. We have been brought to fullness. And he says, because of that, don't let anyone take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And then he gave us four points about that. Paul talked about the deity and supremacy of Christ. Remember that? Even a few Sundays ago, Christ, this supernova, all the fullness of the Godhead, creator, sustainer, redeemer. This is the Christ we follow. And he's brought us to fullness. We talked about our new birth, that we have been made new. We've been given new spiritual legs. We didn't just get a good wheelchair. We've been healed spiritually. We can run. We can do things for God. Okay? We talked about how our debt has been forgiven. Our sin has been forgiven. Debt is covered. We're, we're not, there's no more payment for us. Christ paid it all. And lastly, Paul talked about how dark spiritual forces have been defeated in Christ. So here is where Paul says, therefore, because of all that, all those incredible things, Paul says, therefore, in verse 16, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So Paul gives us three warnings here. The first one that I just read, don't let, if you're a note taker, the first warning, don't let people judge you. Don't let people judge you. In some ways, this is very specific to the Colossian church. There, he's talking about these Jewish practices, celebration of festivals, all these Jewish, you know, sort of to-do lists that were, they were ordained by God. They were relevant for a time, but they were no longer necessary. Christ had superseded them. But it seems like there was a group of people in the church or there was in the community of the Colossian church that was trying to push these practices back onto the Colossian church. Now, I don't know if we have a Jewish contingent here that wants to start celebrating the festival of booths or something like that. I don't think so. Maybe the bean festival is, you know, being pushed upon the church that, you know, no, I'm kidding. But we don't have Jewish practices specifically that maybe we're, that are being pushed upon us. So how do we apply this, this warning, don't let people judge you because you don't participate in Jewish practices? I think the application is this. Be careful of anything that diminishes the work that Christ has done. Let me say that again. Be careful of anything that diminishes the work that Christ has done. Because I think people thought that they had to do these Jewish practices because what Christ had done was not quite enough. You needed to do a little bit more to be holy in God's eyes, to be righteous. But the truth is, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. There's nothing else that needs to be done. There's no more practices that we need to do. So I tried to think, what's an example of something that would be like that? 
And if this offends you, well, I'm still the new guy, so I just didn't know um, what I was talking about. You can blame, you can blame, I'm just new. I don't think it'll offend you. I try to think, what's an example of something that we put on ourselves or put on others? And I thought, well, maybe a good one is church attendance. Do we judge people based on how often they attend church? Now, don't hear me say what I'm not saying. Am I saying it's not important to attend? No, I'm not saying that. Am I saying it's not important to gather with other believers? I'm not saying that at all. I think it is. I think it's really important. The Bible makes it really clear. Don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. If you want to grow in Christ, you need to be part of a body. Amen? You're not going to grow hiding out in your house all by yourself. I've tried that. It doesn't work. You need the body. So don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. But is someone standing with God dependent upon how often they attend church? Are they less righteous than you or I because they don't attend often? No. Attending here does not make you righteous. Attending here does not make you holy. Christ does. The work is done. But I know, I judge people. Especially as a pastor. I keep notes. No, I don't keep notes. <laughs> I, think that, I think the council does that, right, Sean? The council does that? Yeah. But it doesn't make anyone more holy the more they attend. Who, who are we to say? Maybe they gather with someone else. Maybe they gather someone else in their home. We don't know. Anyway, I thought it was a good example. It kind of pushes us, makes us think a bit. You're not more holy because you attend. So first warning, don't let people judge you. Second warning, verses 18 and 19. Don't let super spiritual people disqualify you. Don't let super spiritual people disqualify you. Let's read verse 18 and 19 again. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Who is Paul describing here? In my best guess or my best estimate, these are what I would call quote-unquote super spiritual people who seem to have an exclusive privileged knowledge that is extra-biblical or mysterious and it requires their presence to interpret it and lead you to it. Often I would say these are highly experiential people basing their understanding of God and spirituality on their own experience rather than basing it on God's word. And as Paul says, it's a false humility. They're not humble. And Paul goes on to say, because they're not connected to Christ. Those who are connected to Christ grow in humility. Why? Because that's what Christ was. That's what Christ did. 
Christ said, if you want to be the greatest, what do you need to do? Lord yourself over others? What did he say? Be the least. Serve. Lay down your life. So if these people have some great connection to Christ, they ought to be Christ-like. But these people who I would label as super spiritual are not. They have something extra. They have something new that they have discovered. And they, they, in order for you to understand, they must teach you. Here's my summary of that. Be careful of nonsense. Don't let people push nonsense on you. You don't need something else. Listen, I don't think this is controversial. If it's not in the Bible, if it can't be supported by Scripture, if I don't see the pattern in the Bible, I am not interested. This is the word left for us to teach me and guide me and direct me and to help me filter out nonsense. Amen? Can we agree on that? So don't let these people discredit you. Don't let them push you down. Don't make, let them make you feel less than. You are enough. Not because of you, but because in Christ you have been brought to fullness. You have everything you need. You are qualified. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. There's nothing else you need to do. Don't let these people disqualify you. The last one, the last warning in verse 20 to 23, so we have the first one, don't let people judge you. Don't let super spiritual people disqualify you. And lastly, in my words, don't allow worldly thinking and systems to bind you. Let's read verses 20 and 23, 22-23 again. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Those words, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Scholars are in disagreement about what he was referring to, but most of them think it is something to do with Jewish laws and practices that kind of got adopted by the larger culture, got mixed in with some pagan ideas, and were kind of drifting back into the church. Sort of extra-biblical rules and laws and ideas um, that were measures of someone's spiritual, I guess, health, or what, if someone was godly. But as Paul makes clear in here, they were also demonically driven. When Paul refers to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, I believe he's referring to demonic forces that were driving ideas and practices back into the church. They were woven into church culture, creating unbiblical standards of holiness. 
And I thought, what's, what's a good example for us today? What would be something that might fit into this category? This regulation that appears to be wise, um, requires discipline that kind of makes people feel maybe a bit more holy or that we would judge others based upon. And the one I came up with, which I think is very difficult for us to see because we do live in such a uh, opulent, very privileged place in the world. We do. If you look at the rest of the world, we are very fortunate. So it's hard for us to see this one. But I would say this. I think this idea is something that we, we use to judge people in the church. It's this. Being godly means being successful. I think that's all across. That's a, a, a sickness in the North American church. Prosperity, wealth, success has to do with godliness. And I mean, we can just play a game. What if someone started attending our church? An absolute saint of a, of a, of a man, let's say, or a woman. Godly, knew the Bible, submitted to Christ, just following God. If they were bankrupt, showed up in a clapped-out Pontiac, you know, maybe the buttons on their shirt were always a little bit crooked and, and one shirt tail was in and one was out. Shoes weren't tied. Would that affect my judgment of how godly that person was? It would, for me. Is that right? Does success mean godliness? I mean, if we look at the works, the words of Jesus, if we look at characters in the Bible, if you look at John the Baptist living out in the woods, eating locusts and not the woods, I guess more like the desert, locusts and honey, I'm not sure success is a measure for godliness. And yet I think we have adopted that in our church, churches. But these rules don't apply to us. We are free. Jesus told us, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about what you'll eat. You're in a different kingdom now. We are Christ's. Sometimes we add stuff on, on and it gets woven into the church. So, there are dangers lurking. There are snares in the church. There are snares in our culture. To sum it all up, I think these are external things that we can only see with our eyes. And we measure ourselves and we measure others. Are they spiritual? Am I spiritual? Am I a follower of Jesus? Are they a follower of Jesus? Are they, are they, are they following Christ? Are they godly? And often we accept or reject people based on these measures. I think they are attractive to us because they are measurable. It can give us a bit of a sense of security. Well, if I look at my life, I'm doing A, B, C, and D. I must be doing pretty good. I think it can give us kind of a false sense of security. Here's the illustration that I have. We'll finish off with this. I think those things are the equivalent of spiritual training wheels. If I said to you, I am the greatest mountain bike rider 
from Saskatchewan. And I've come here to challenge any of you. We're going to race from the church all the way to Beaver Tails in Grand Bend. Anyone, any challengers, show up tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. I'm going to race you. If I showed up and I had training wheels on my mountain bike, you would think, who is this lunatic from Saskatchewan who thinks he can ride? He still has training wheels. Nobody who says they can ride a bicycle uses training wheels. Training wheels give you the illusion of riding. They make us feel safe because we're not going to fall over. But you can't actually ride. Have you ever seen a, a young kid who has had training wheels on for too long and when they ride, the training wheels never touch the ground? Have you ever seen that? All of my kids got to that point because I would keep raising up their training wheels and they could ride without them but they didn't want me to take them off because they, didn't, they felt like they were going to fall down. But I could see, I said, guys, you, you can ride. Like the training wheels never touch. You ever tried to turn a sharp corner with training wheels on? It doesn't work because, why? You can't lean. It doesn't work. So training wheels only give you the illusion of riding, the illusion of security. These measures that we have, these things that Paul is warning us about, judgments, people greater than us, old laws sneaking in, standards in the church, I think these are like spiritual training wheels. We don't actually need them. Listen, the Christian life was never meant to be one of following laws and rules. Jesus abolished all that. You don't, need to, you don't need training wheels anymore. Why? Because I have come and made you new inside. You can ride. You are free. Take them off. Take them off and ride. The Christian life was meant to be from the inside out. Christ came and made you new. The Holy Spirit gave you new life, new birth. You don't need to follow rules and regulations with training wheels to stay on track. You just got to take them off and go. Just go. So how do we do this? I mean as a body, how do we do this together? How do we learn to take our training wheels off and throw them away and just go? I got two, two ideas. There's probably more thoughts. This is what I came up with. And then we'll be, I'll be done. The first one, grace. We need to offer each other grace. Why? So that I, I'm not afraid to try new things. You're not afraid to try and ride. Grace. The old has gone, the new has come. Listen, as your lead pastor, guys, I need, I'm going to need grace from you. There's going to be a time where I offend you or where I annoy you or I make a mistake, where I try something new and it doesn't work and it fails. Listen, 
I can't do my job if I don't have grace. And I'm going to try and offer that same grace to each one of you. So that when you try something or have an idea, or you just want to go for it and it doesn't work out, well, don't be afraid to try again because you've got grace from me. You all need to offer grace to each other. Because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to annoy each other. I'm sure it hasn't happened yet. (laughs) But it will. But if we're going to learn how to ride and go for it, we might need a little grace. Because we're still a little rough around the edges. We're still sometimes a little wobbly. But I believe that Christ has made us new. We will ride. We will make it. So offer each other grace. And here's the other one. Some of y'all, that's, the, that's an American, that feel, you feel comfortable, Dennis? Y'all? <laughs> Some of y'all need to live a little. And what I mean by that is just go for it. If God has given you an idea or you want to try something or you want to step out in faith and do something that's a little scary, go for it. Go for it. Don't be afraid what people think. Don't let people judge you. Don't let people hold you down or put you in a box. Go for it. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, can I change it a bit? Let us throw off our training wheels and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us ride our bikes with perseverance, the race marked out for us. I don't want to live a fake Christian life. I don't want to just follow enough rules and do enough right things that you all have a good picture of me and that I look good in the church. And Man, I don't want to, I don't want to just do that. And I don't think any of you just want to do that either. You want to run the race that's been marked out for you. God called you and saved you and made you new for a reason. Don't you want to throw off the training wheels and just go for it? As my kids always say, just send it. Maybe that's, maybe that's a better... Remember this for next week. What did Dave preach about? He said, just send it. You've been given new life. You've been made new. You don't need to follow any rules. You don't need to please anybody. You've been made new in Christ, and He is, God is so pleased with you. God loves you. He's given you grace. He's given you the strength. You've been made new and forgiven. He's left in heaven saying, Dave, send it. Just go for it. Go for it. So can I pray with you? And then the ladies are going to come and and lead us in a couple more songs. Lord, we're just so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for what, what you've given us. We're so thankful for your son, Jesus. We're so thankful for forgiveness and cleansing. Lord, would you help us to run our race? Would you help us not to be afraid? Would you help us not to feel judged and and held down?
And Lord, maybe there's some people here this morning who, who feel like they've got some ideas, they've got some things they want to try, they, they've, they've been challenged, but they just feel stuck. They feel like they can't break out. They feel like maybe there's too much pressure, there's too much of a box to break out. Lord, I pray you just give them courage this morning. May they know that in Christ they have been brought to fullness. Lord, as we just worship for a few more minutes, I pray that you continue to speak to us. And Lord, if anything I've said this morning is not of you, I, I know you'll just make it fall away. May your truth and your word ring in our minds this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.